Throughout the season of Advent, we've been going through each of the Gospels and looking at the Christmas story as told by each of the Gospel writers. Uh, You might remember two weeks ago, uh, Trinity talked about the, the Gospel of Mark and how Advent was covered in the Gospel of Mark. And you might remember there's not a Christmas story in the Gospel of Mark, but there are lessons about Advent that we can read into the gospel. Today we're going to look at the gospel of Matthew and and look at the Christmas story as told by Matthew from Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 and this is found on page 783 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God we come to you now with open hearts hopeful to hear your will. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So with Christmas fast approaching, our mailbox has been filled with Christmas cards from friends and family from all over the the place, including many of you. And Julianne and I love seeing those Christmas cards, even though we haven't done a Christmas card for a couple of years. I've noticed that there's some particular techniques that most of you all and most of our friends use when they're doing a Christmas card. Some people, some of our friends, actually hire a professional photographer, and somehow that professional photographer is able to get the lighting right and to get everybody smiling at the right time, and everyone's usually dressed in some coordinated Christmas outfit so that they can take the perfect Christmas picture to send out to all of their friends. Some of you have done that. Others have decided instead of trying to take a picture right now, they've looked back throughout the year to some family vacation, to to some moment in the past where everybody seemed to be happy and smiling and, and maybe tan at the beach or something along those lines and have used that picture for your Christmas card. But everybody seems to be, again, in a good, happy mood, happy to be family together. Others have decided not to try to take one picture at all, but have used a collage of pictures where every individual member of the family was happy in that particular moment and so are joyful. And so there's a collage of pictures of brother and sister and mom and dad and and even the family pets who have all been there in a collage together in separate pictures doing their own separate things, but all happy and joyful because after all, it's the happy, joyful Christmas season. 
But Julianne and I have some friends from Atlanta, and we always enjoy getting their Christmas card because it's a little bit different. The Vogelsongers, who are friends of ours from our previous church, have a pretty good sense of humor. And they do what most of you all do, most of our friends do. They take a nice picture to go on the front of the card. But then when you flip the card over and look at the back of the card, they show you the messy side of Christmas. For a couple, and since a couple of years ago, the Vogelsongers, they have a boy and a girl and a little dog, a little Dotson named Timmy. And then a couple of years ago, they took a picture, a nice professional picture, but when you flipped it over, they showed you all the reject pictures that didn't make it to the front of the card. Pictures where brother and sister were trying to put bunny ears on each other. Pictures where mom was yelling at brother and sister to stop picking on each other. Even a picture of little Timmy turned around the wrong way so his backside was to the camera. A couple of years ago, we got another card from them. that The theme of it was our Christmas wishes. And on the front was that beautiful picture that said, We wish all of our friends peace and joy and love this season. But then on the back, you flipped it over and it had a list of all of their individual family wishes. Little brother wished that his sister would go to the South Pole for Christmas. Sister wished that her brother could find some sort of psychological help for Christmas. And little Timmy, the dachshund, wished for longer legs so that he could run away from this crazy family. We always enjoy getting that that messy Christmas picture from them, the, the, both sides of the story. Yes, there's that big, beautiful picture of what Christmas is supposed to be, but when you flip it over... You get the messy side of Christmas. And I was thinking about that Christmas card as I was preparing for this sermon today because I think that's what Matthew does. Matthew, at first glance, tries to give us a very clean-cut, clear-cut picture of Christmas. But if we flip Matthew over and we dig a little bit deeper, we can also see in Matthew's version of the Christmas story that Christmas is a little messy from time to time. At first glance, it seems he's trying to to make it very clear for all those Jewish people that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. There's no doubt. Jesus checks all the boxes. He, He meets all the criteria of the prophets. He does everything he's supposed to be. He's the one. But when we dig a little bit deeper, we can see that all throughout Matthew's version of Christmas, the story is very, very messy. Let's take a look at some of that mess for just a minute. First, let's start with the part before the part that I read, the the genealogy of Jesus. At first glance, again, it's lined out in rows of 14 from Abraham uh, all the way to David, from David to the exile and from the exile to Jesus. His his family tree that's supposed to be perfectly executed, the, the perfect pedigree for who the Messiah is supposed to be. But again, when you look a little bit deeper, you can see that Jesus has some crooked knots and crooked branches in his family tree. And I think Matthew wants us to notice those. He highlights those, believe it or not, with the women in the story, with the women in the genealogy. He, he brings up Ruth, who is a Moabite, who is a Gentile, which may not seem like a big deal to us, but for Jewish people who wanted Jesus' pedigree to be right, it would be a little controversial that there were a few Gentiles in there. But that's not the worst of it. Then Jesus, or I'm sorry, Matthew mentions Bathsheba, but he doesn't name her as Bathsheba. He names her as the wife of Uriah, which reminds us of that sordid story of David and Bathsheba and how David pursued a woman that was someone else's wife and then took Uriah and sent him to the front lines of the battle so that he could be murdered. And then on top of all of that, if that wasn't bad enough, he mentions other people like Rahab, 
the prostitute, just to throw her in there for good measure. We look at this sordid story, this, this sordid family tree of Jesus, and oh, it's messy, messy, messy. Then we could jump ahead to the passage we, right after the passage that I read this morning, the passage about King Herod and the wise men. We're going to read it again in a few weeks on Epiphany Sunday. But at first glance, King Herod the Great was named King Herod the Great. Lots of people thought he might have been a great king. In fact, you look at him and, and lots of the things, the tourist sites and the historic sites that people go and visit over in Jerusalem today were built by King Herod under King Herod's rule. He was known as a great king, a long-lasting, powerful king. King, but when we dig a little bit deeper, we realize that King Herod was actually a pretty corrupt king, a power-hungry king, a paranoid king who, who had his own children killed, even one of his wives killed to try to maintain his power. He forfeited his faith and buddied up to the Romans and buddied up to Caesar to try to keep that power for himself. And we see in that passage after the one I read this morning that he was even willing to have children killed to keep that power for himself. Messy, messy, messy. And then, of course, there's the passage I did read, the passage about Mary and Joseph. Joseph was someone we would have never known if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for that genealogy that he fit into the right family. But Joseph is engaged to a woman to be married, and then he discovers that she is pregnant with a child that is not his. Messy, messy, messy. Joseph could have kept his honor, kept his face, sent her away, just like it says in our passage. And maybe he even thought about reaching out to his friends and asking them what he should do. And they would have told her, told Joseph, just read the Bible, do what the Bible tells you to do. You know what the Bible in that day would have told them to do with Mary? Take her outside the city, have her killed, or at the very least, divorce her and send her away so that she takes the shame on, not you. But that's not what Joseph does. That's not how we would think the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would come into the world into this messy, messy, messy way. But that's exactly what Matthew teaches us. That Jesus comes into the messy world in a messy way. And maybe that's what we're supposed to learn from this story, is to see Jesus Christ and to see this world through the eyes of Joseph to dive deep down into this messy world, to dive deep down into the shame and the pain and the suffering around us and to look at all the imperfections of the world, not through the eyes of Herod or Joseph's friends, but through the eyes of Joseph himself, who believes the words of that angel and hangs on to that family, chooses to stay with that family in spite of how messy it might be. That's what I think Matthew is trying to teach us with his version of the gospel, that even though the world is messy, it's in those messy places. If we will have the courage to dig a little bit deeper, it's in those messy places where we might be surprised. It's in those messy places where we might find we come face to face with Jesus Christ himself. 
I've told you this story before, and I like to tell it a lot during the holidays. It's a story about one of my former mentors, Chaplain Irma Bishop, who was a chaplain at a, a prison just outside of Atlanta, Metro State Prison. I worked with her for a little while, and she liked to tell this story about how during the holidays she would take communion to all of the inmates and at Easter and at Christmas as well. And one Christmas she was taking communion to all of the inmates in the solitary confinement cell, the D-block cell, and there was one inmate there named Tammy. I'd gotten to meet Tammy while I worked there. She was no bigger than a twig, but Tammy had some mental health issues, and she was a dangerous person and, and at times would hurt herself and sometimes even hurt others, and so quite often she had to stay behind bars in her own solitary cell. But Chaplain Bishop on Christmas Eve took communion to all of the people in that cell who wanted it, and she asked the officer if, if anybody in the cell would want it, and immediately Tammy heard and yelled, I want communion, I want the Lord's Supper, bring it to me. But the officer said, no, 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 not Tammy. Tammy just wants attention. Tammy doesn't even know the story of Jesus. You can take it to other people, but don't get her riled up. Just, just stay away from Tammy. So Chaplain Bishop went to the cell right across the hall from Tammy and pulled out the bread and the cup and, and read, read some of the scripture and then shared communion with the inmate right across the hall from, from Tammy. And she finished and they said a prayer and Chaplain Bishop stood up and said Merry Christmas and she was turning to go away and Tammy said, wait a minute Chaplain Bishop, you're supposed to wash your feet. That's what Jesus did. After he shared communion, he washed the disciples' feet. Chaplain Bishop paused and realized Tammy did know the story. She knew the story better than most of us know the story. That in the Gospel of John, after they shared the Passover, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And so in spite of how dangerous it might have been, in spite of how angry or, or out of control Tammy might have been, she called the officer over and took communion to Tammy. Because there, in the midst of that dark and messy place, Jesus Christ could still be found in the heart and soul of this woman who had nothing else to hold on to but her faith. Matthew calls us to dive down into the messiness of the world, to the brokenness of the world, the hurt and the pain and the suffering around us, even though at Christmas time we like to think of the joy and the lights and the presents and the gifts. Jesus Christ came into a messy, broken, fearful world. And Matthew tells us if we want to see the Christ child, if we want to see God with us, if we want to see Jesus Christ face to face, then we have to have that same courage to be just like Joseph, to look at people through the eyes of Joseph and believe that it's there in that messiness, it's there in that brokenness that we experience God's forgiveness. It's where we experience God's grace. It's there where we experience God's love. It's there where we experience Jesus Christ Himself. Of course, it's one thing to look at all the messiness out there in the world and try to be graceful, try to be forgiving, but it's another thing to look at the, grace, the messiness in our own lives and try to look at it with the same eyes. As I told you, Julianne and I haven't done a Christmas card in a couple of years. Part of that is because we can't agree on a picture where we both look good at the same time. We like to look good for other people. We don't like to look at our own messiness, our own brokenness, our own frailty. But that's exactly what Matthew calls us to do. To turn those eyes, those lenses on ourselves. To look at the messiness and the brokenness in our own lives and believe that even there, maybe especially there, 
That's where we can find Jesus Christ actively living and working and moving in our lives. That's not our custom in the world, those kind of brokenness, that, that part of us that we like to hide from everybody else. That's usually the part that we don't want anybody else to see. We assume they don't want to see it. But the gospel story tells us that's exactly what Jesus Christ is looking for. That brokenness, that frailty, that willingness to surrender to the will and the glory and the grace of God. There's a beautiful little book that was written several years ago called Messy Spirituality by a man named Michael Iaconelli. And he's a great little author. And in that, he tells this precious little story about a little boy who wanted a puppy for Christmas. Every day after school, he walked home and saw the pet shop and looked in the window and saw four little puppies sitting there in the, in the window. And finally, he went home one day and said, Mom, I really want this puppy for Christmas, and if you can't get it to me, if you'll just give me an advance on my allowance, I'll buy the puppy myself. And so finally, Mom said, Okay, it's going to be a, a big responsibility, but if you really believe you can do it, we can get that puppy for Christmas. And so the next day after, after school, they went to the pet store, and the little boy looked at the four little puppies and saw one little puppy over in the corner sitting all by himself, and he pointed to that one and said, that's the puppy I want. The pet shop owner said, no, 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 that's not the puppy you want. That's the runt of the litter. He's the little guy. In fact, if you look at him closely, he's got a little deformity on his paw. He can't really run around and move as fast as the others. That's not the puppy you want. Pick one of the others who can run and play and jump and walk and do everything with you. But after just a few seconds of silence, the little boy pulled up his pants leg and showed a little metal brace that went from his ankle up to his knee. And he pointed back at that little puppy and said, no, that's the puppy that I want. See, what would have disqualified that puppy for everyone else is exactly what qualified the puppy for the little boy. The puppy who was in need was the puppy that he needed. The puppy who was in need was the one he was searching for. The puppy who was messy and broken was the puppy that he loved. This Christmas... Matthew calls us to dive down deep into the messiness of this world. To dive down deep into the messiness of our own lives. The places where we're sinful. The places where we've hurt other people. The places where our relationships are broken. The places where we are in need. Because Matthew tells us that that's the kind of world that Jesus Christ came to thousands of years ago. A world where people struggled for power. A world where people fought against each other. A world where people were trying to put their best face forward. When really all the time they were broken inside. Matthew calls us to dig deeper into the messiness of this world. Trusting that if Jesus Christ came to that messy world years ago, Jesus Christ could come again. And in that messiness, we might see the face of the Christ child. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ again and again and again. To the glory of God.